0: Tonight's New Testament reading is from Luke chapter 2 and can be found on page 3 of your bulletin. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, "'Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger.' And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: If you've been in our community for. Uh, at least a year if if not more you probably uh, you probably know that our uh, joyful tradition at advent is to have our network pastors rotate uh, preaching in our three congregations grace dc is a, a network a family of three congregations together and one of the benefits that we have is uh, we have pastoral ministry outside our local congregation that feeds us and builds us up. And this will be our first Sunday of Advent, and Russ Whitfield, our pastor, planter of Grace Mosaic Church, uh, is with us to bring God's Word. Russ was pastoring in this congregation, and I know many of you uh, know and love him. We're so thrilled that you're here, brother. Come on up and uh, kick us off. This Advent season, let me pray for you. Careful, we've got to be careful up here. We'll fall, fall away. <laughs> Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for this brother, his life, his faith, our long friendship, the friendship we have with this congregation. And I pray uh, right now each of us would be expectant. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, brother. Good evening,
2: Grace downtown. It's good to be with you again. It's been a while, but, uh, it is always a joy to be able to do the triple header during Advent. I promise you, I took my holy nap this afternoon and I, I'm, I'm ready for you. Uh, I am grateful for, uh, I'm grateful for this congregation. Every time I'm here, I'm reminded of the blessing, uh, that jesus said it's it's more blessed to give than receive in the way in which this congregation gave in order to see grace mosaic go out seven years ago can you believe it and god has blessed our community and we're seeing uh great fruit so i'm always encouraged when i come back home to grace downtown i want to uh it's part of my rhythm i'm going to pray again because we need the lord i'm gonna pray again and we're going to get into the word Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you, by your spirit, go out with your word. And when you send your word out, you do not have your word returned to you without accomplishing what you sent it for. So I pray that tonight you would continue to do that thing. I pray that you would meet each of us where we are. I pray particularly for my friends in here this evening who are wrestling through issues of life and faith and doubt and Maybe don't even know why they're in here this evening, um, Lord. I pray that you would that you would meet them, and Lord, I pray that you would um, take this offering and glorify yourself. Praying in Christ's name, Amen. Have you ever had the experience of talking to someone on the phone that you've never met face to face, but you form this picture of what they look like, and when you finally meet them, you're like you don't look like what I had in my head. Well, I had this experience back when I was in show business. my manager was sending me on all of these auditions for commercials and stuff like that. And he emailed me a list and I saw this list and I was looking through the list and seeing if I wanted to go to any of these auditions and reach out to any of these. So I went out on this. So, so I got this email from my manager and it had a list of all the auditions for commercials that were going on. And I looked down through the list and I had been to enough commercial auditions and it had gotten enough rejections that I was, looking for, I was looking for a little help. So I'm scrolling through the list and I came across this name, Tyrone Jenkins, who was the director. And I said, I'm going to get a little home cooking here. So I called the, I called the line and... I said, yes, uh, I'm trying to speak with Tyrone Jenkins. And he's like, yeah, baby, this is Tyrone Jenkins. I was like, all right, I wanted to you know, get some more information about this, this audition. He gave me the information. I was like, great, I'm going to this audition. I got to the audition. I was fully prepared to see Shaft wearing a dashiki. And when I walked in, it was Bill Gates. I was like, Tyrone? He's like, yeah, baby, come on in. I was like... My mind was like this, because the impression that I got in my mind was something very different from the reality that I met. Many people's experience when it comes to Christianity is something similar to this. You've heard about the Christian faith. Maybe you've read the Bible a little bit, and you form this impression about what God is like. You form this impression about what God would do or wouldn't do, how God should act and shouldn't act. The kind of God that you could accept, and the kind of God that you just can't accept. And and this can be the case for those of us who were even raised in the church. You, you, You come away with this impression of what God is like. But during Advent, during Christmas, we come face to face with what he is really like. It's at this point that we really get to see what God is like. And there is There's one theme that I'm going to give you from our text tonight that arises when you meet the real God versus the one that you have in your head. And that word is this, unexpected. He's unexpected. And tonight we're going to get into our text through three points. We're going to see an unexpected people, an unexpected time, and an unexpected king. So let's look at our first point, an unexpected people. If you look at the text that's in your bulletin at verses 8 and 9, it says this. It says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. To them. The Lord had many possible servants at his disposal. He had many competent, highfalutin potential witnesses that he could have sent his messengers to, to announce his son. He could have sent the angels to the the religious authorities in the temple. Those who knew a lot, they were theologically astute and theologically gifted, and and they, they had the power in their hands over the religious establishment. He could have sent the angels to them. He could have sent the angels into the the halls of Roman power in order to, you know, get influence. You you know how important that is these days, to, to ascend so that you can get influence over institutions. But that's not who he sends his messengers to. In fact, he skips over both of those groups and he sends his messengers to shepherds. Shepherds. Ordinary people working an ordinary job, they were on the marginalized side of society, they weren't people of great reputation, they were shepherds, they were unexpected. These these shepherds were tending flocks that were likely to become the sacrifices at Passover to come in a few months we would not have chosen them as recipients of our good news. If if we had an important message that we wanted to get out, you and I would not have chosen the shepherds. We would not have included the shepherds in our story. If we were telling our best story, our most important story ever, we would never have included the shepherds. And you know, every time you tell a story... You are intentionally including and excluding details based upon the level of their importance to you. Based upon how much they matter to getting your message across. And I want you to see that in God's telling of his story, he includes shepherds. He includes ordinary people because right on the face of the text, ordinary people matter to God. God wants ordinary people to get good news. God wants people across the spectrum to get his good news. In fact, he likes to pick the unexpected types in order to give his good news to them. But the shepherds, you have to appreciate, they were just the the latest in a long line of unexpected people that the Lord came to, to to meet with them, to give them his good news. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob were unexpected. They were simple nomads. Moses was unexpected. He was supposed to be aborted. That's the story in Exodus 1. You, you know who else was unexpected was was Israel. This was a group of people that were enslaved and under the, under the grip of a, of a foreign power. They, they were unexpected. Joshua was unexpected. He was an ordinary military leader in the midst of empires. David was unexpected because his own father wouldn't even put him up for suggestion for leadership. Out of his eight brothers, he was so unimportant, even in the eyes of his own father, that he was sent out to tend the sheep. While the other brothers were inspected for the possibility of leadership, David was unexpected. Isaiah was unexpected. He knew he was a man of of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips. And when you fast forward into the New Testament, the 12 disciples were unexpected fishermen, a tax collector, a, a, a political radical, and a traitor. Saul of Tarsus was unexpected. He was an accessory to the murder of Christian people. And perhaps most of all, you and I are unexpected. We're not the kind of people that would naturally come to mind as those who, who would be on God's guest list. But we're not the kind of people, given what we know about ourselves, our pride our, our, our self righteousness, our, our, we're greedy, we're needy, we're, not, we're the unexpected types. But you need to hear the good news this evening that God delights to give his good news to the unexpected types, to the unexpected people. And think about the way that that should form us. Think about the way that that should form us. We should be the kind of communities that are looking for the unexpected. The unexpected people, the the people that you would tend to write off or run off are the people that God is interested in welcoming in. And he wants to form us to be like him in that way. We see unexpected people in this text, but we also see an unexpected time. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock By night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This text teaches us that, like photographers of old, God does his greatest works of development in the dark. In the times of darkness, dark days, dark times, dark situations, dark sufferings. God does his work in the dark. He's even done his work in dark tombs. God does his work in the dark. And most of the time, we're only recognizing a very small percentage of the work that God is doing because we only have eyes to see the work that he does in times of comfort and joy. Yes, I see God at work when I get a promotion. Yes, I see God at work when he fixes this thing that that I wanted him to fix. But you have to appreciate that, that God doesn't just work during the daytime. God works the midnight shift. God's at work in the dark times of our lives. When your depression and anxiety press in on you when your children get sick, when your own health fails you, when the health of your loved ones is compromised, when you're facing confusion or dark nights of the soul, light shines in the darkness and the gospel of John tells us that the darkness could not overcome it. God loves to work in the dark. Back in the the church where I grew up, the the older saints used to have this saying. They would say, God don't need no matches. He's fire by himself. And what they were saying is that he is the light. You don't need to try and turn to something else in order to try and scatter the darkness. Because the reality is this, money cannot scatter your darkness. A job cannot scatter your darkness. The approval of other people cannot scatter your darkness. But God is the light, and he can scatter the darkness for you without any of those other things because he is the light. He scatters the darkness. Oftentimes, those things that we're longing for, that we think will scatter the darkness, they they actually serve to deepen the darkness of our selfishness our idolatry, and our covetousness, our self-dependence. But what this text shows us is is that we don't need to fear the dark places. Think about it. How do you respond to the times of darkness? How do you respond to dark days? What do you do with it? Do you find yourself resenting it? Do you find yourself cynical about God because of the, the darkness? I want to invite you to take a different perspective on the darkness. I want you to think about the darkness as the time where God does his greatest work of development in the lives of his people. That's the way God has always done it. It's the way he always has done it. He walked into the darkness of Egypt in order to shine his light on Israel. He came into the the darkness of a post-fall world to shed his light on Abraham. He comes into the darkness of broken down, depressed, mournful people and he sheds his light. This is God's way. Yes, it's it's countercultural. That's not the way we kind of tend to think about it. But you need to check in with this this reality. If you only want to serve God or follow God so long as he's useful. What you want is not God. It's the stuff that he gives. But God wants to give you more than the stuff he wants to give you himself. He wants to be your light. He doesn't just want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your life. And that's the way that he scatters the darkness. That's the way that he scatters the darkness what we see in this story is that we have to let the story of Advent rearrange our plausibility structures. The things that we think are possible, the things that we think could happen, we need to let Advent rearrange those plausibility structures, those expectations that we have. Because we all tend to look at situations or people and, Count them out. That's not possible. No, I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna engage with them because psh, what's the use? I mean, they don't want it. But here's the thing it's not about whether or not they want it. It's about what God wants for them. Do you think there's any amount of pride that he cannot melt? Do you think there's any amount of hardness that he cannot soften? Is there any amount of blindness that he cannot make 2020? He's the light who scatters the darkness, and we must let this rearrange our perspective. And, I, and one piece, helpful piece of advice that I would offer to you is this: You're familiar with this mode of therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy. It's one of the ways that uh, therapists, psychologists, um, try to help people who are dealing with cognitive dissonances that tend to result in anxiety and depression. And there are a lot of useful tools that they give you to help you identify cognitive dissonances. For example, there's something called catastrophizing, where you think that the worst case scenario is the most likely scenario. For example, you're about to go in for that interview. You say, I know I'm going to vomit. I know I'm going to vomit. It's going to be terrible. They're going to hate me. It's going to be awful. That's catastrophizing. And you need to be aware of that mind reading other people. You assume that you know what they're thinking. You, I know, she just thinks she's better than me. Uh-huh, I'll show her. She never said a word about it. But you, you mind read her. Spouses, mind reading happens. But one of the things uh, relevant to this text that I want to encourage you to be aware of is negative filtering. Negative filtering As when you put a filter on your life and your circumstances and the only things that can get through to you are the bad things, the ugly things, the things in your life that aren't what you want them to be. And all the while, you're missing out on the other good things that God is doing in your life. Negative filtering. Advent gives us warrant to throw off the negative filtering in the times of darkness and to expect that there can be an inbreaking of glory and praise and light. You have warrant to expect it. You have warrant to pray for it. You have warrant to wait patiently for it. And the other thing I want to say to you to help you to frame up the times of darkness in your life, the other thing I would encourage you with is this In the times of darkness, I want you to remember what God says through the prophet Isaiah. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Think about it. We would never choose those dark days and those dark moments for ourselves. We would never choose them because we don't tend to believe that it's possible that something beautiful and good is going to come out of those times. But God knows better because his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. We wouldn't choose those dark days for ourselves and we wouldn't develop. We wouldn't choose those dark days for ourselves, and guess what? We wouldn't have chose an incarnation. We would not have chosen 30 years for the Son of God to live in obscurity and faithfulness, and three years of public teaching in which he was rejected and opposed. We would not have chosen suffering. We would not have chosen that the truth himself would be falsely accused. We would not have chosen a cross or a burial, and we would not have experienced a resurrection. We wouldn't have chosen it. But God's ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher. He's infinitely wise. There is no amount of suffering, no quality of suffering, that He will take you through and waste it. He's not able to waste suffering and affliction on his people. All of it fits into his recipe for redemption, for his his vision for renewal. None of it's wasted. And that's why all of the saints of old around the globe and through history would tell us to wait on the Lord. He will do it. He will be near to you. He will see you through. He will work on you. He will be at work. Because remember, God works the midnight shift, He's at work in the darkness. Here's the deal if your God does not surprise you with the unexpected, your God is not holy. Your God is a figment of your imagination. Because the God of the Bible does the unexpected. He he works with unexpected people, unlikely people, and he works at unexpected times. All of the darkness, all of the trials, all of the setbacks, all of the hardships are a setup for him to break in with his glory. One gospel singer put it this way I wouldn't, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. He brings you to the test in order to give you a testimony, in order to make you a witness. God works at the unexpected times. Why? Because he's an unexpected king, my final point. Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Frederick Beekner was a Presbyterian pastor and writer. And he once said this thing, listen to this. And I quote, once you have seen God in a stable, you can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. If holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, the birth of this peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound, but that holiness can be present there too. And this means, he continues, that we are never safe, that there is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we are safe from his power to break into and recreate the human heart because it is just where he seems most helpless that he is most strong and just where we least expect him that he comes most fully do you see what bigner is saying if god is showing up in stables he's showing up anywhere if he's showing up in a manger he can show up in your dark and dirty times If he's showing up in a manger, there is no place and no person too far gone, too far off that he cannot draw near and do his work of breaking into and recreating and bringing his beauty into it. That's good news, y'all. That's good news. In times like ours, with the kind of lives that we have to live, it's good news to know that God in a manger is hope. That's the assurance that no matter what has been written over your life up to this point, whether it's suffering that has been written over your life, or despair that's been written over your life, or depression, or anxiety, at the end, God is going to stamp over it all new. New. All of it. Made new. That's good news. We might as well have saying earlier in our service, come thou unexpected Jesus, because the whole logic of the gospel, y'all is unexpected. It's unexpected. And it's not until you see just how unexpected it is that you really begin to digest it. It takes time to chew on it, to swallow it, and then to metabolize it. But you're beginning to digest just what the gospel is about when you when you come to grips with how unexpected it is. It's unexpected. Think about it. That man's maker would be made man is unexpected. That the God who spoke the world into existence would coo in his mother's arms is unexpected. That the head of the church became a baby who couldn't even hold up his own head is unexpected. That the bread of life should hunger, the living water thirst, and the healer be wounded. For our redemption is unexpected. The hero of the story dying for the villains is unexpected. This was an unexpected arrival. Jesus, his was an unexpected arrival. It was an unexpected life. That's why the life of Jesus confounded the religious establishment. It was an unexpected life. He wasn't cozying up to power. He was drawing near to the weak. Every time you find Jesus, he's around people on the margins. Every time you find Jesus, he's upsetting social conventions of the religious establishment. His was an unexpected life. His was an unexpected teaching in a time where it was an eye for an eye and and defeat your enemy, he taught, love your enemy and bless those who curse you. A good one to stick in your hat for 2020. His was an unexpected teaching, an unexpected compassion that Jesus loved to draw near to those who were hurting, to those who were broken, to those who who had no other way out. He loved to draw near to those. A bruised reed and a smoldering wick he would never snuff out. His was an unexpected suffering. Unexpected suffering that the beloved son from all eternity, who only ever experienced the delight of the father, should have the wrath of the father. His anger, his holy and righteous anger, poured out. It was an unexpected suffering. It was an unexpected death. Why? Because he is life itself. It's unexpected that the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life would die. It was an unexpected death. And it was an unexpected resurrection. It was an unexpected resurrection. No one was expecting him to come back from it. And that's what shook the world, the stubborn fact of the resurrection. And it will be an unexpected return with unimaginable good, grace, and glory because he's an unexpected king. In other words, the way in which he is king, the way in which he rules is not like the people of this world wield their power and authority. He is not like us. He's not like us in the most glorious way. That the Most High God should stoop so low for us is unexpected. It's unexpected. Listen, if your fever comes down when you're sick, you revive. If your rent comes down in Washington, D.C., you might even dance. But if your God comes down, You love, you sing, you wander, you worship, you witness, you welcome, you serve, you give, you bless. This is what you do when your God comes down. When your God stoops so low to raise you up, this is what you do. This is the good news that forms a good news people in a bad news world. The shepherds may have been raising sheep for sacrifice at Passover. But in this text, we see that God will soon be raising his own lamb for a Passover sacrifice that will put the shepherds out of work. And the only thing that will be left for them is what they are found doing at the end of the passage. Glorifying and praising God for what they had heard and seen. I love this passage because the shepherds start in darkness and by the end of it, they're glorifying and praising God. Don't let that language become churchy language. To glorify God is to speak well of him, to speak highly of him, to give him the benefit of the doubt. When someone else may cast dispersions upon him, say, I know who I've trusted. God's not like you think. They are glorifying and they're praising God for what they had heard and seen, the text says. And what happens in between their darkness and their glorifying and praising God? They receive the message of good news for all people. Good news for all people. Good, good news for those who clap on the one and three and those who clap on the two and four. It is good news for those who got GEDs and those who got PhDs. It's good news for the Cosby's and the Brady's. Y'all hear what I'm saying? It's good news for all people. And we are invited in. You and I are invited into this tonight. We're invited to join the shepherds. And by joining the shepherds, we all show together that the text really isn't about the shepherds at all. It's about the one who was found in that cradle. And the only way that you and I will actually join the shepherds, the only way that we'll join them is if we too take stock of what we have heard and seen. It's important that we do our best to interpret and to exegete the scriptures, to mind the scriptures for what they say and not just what we want them to say. To see what God has done, what God has promised, what God has accomplished, what God will do, what God is doing. It's important that we mine the text. But it's it's also important that we get the right interpretive lens on our own lives. You have stories to tell. There are prayers that you have prayed that have been answered. I I haven't been around here for a while, but I can look out and I'm looking at some of y'all. I'm seeing faces and remembering prayers that I prayed that are answered. I'm looking at the answers. I remember years and years of us praying for my sister Meg. He may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. And now I'm looking at answered prayer. There are so many things that you can look to and remember that the Lord has done. And the more that you take stock of those things, the more and more you will find yourself joining the shepherds in the ordinary. In the ordinary moments of life. This is where they were found. Don't wait for the extraordinary moments of life. It is in the ordinary that God shows up. And he scatters the darkness. We can bear witness to God's presence and work in the unexpected. And we have warrant to believe that he will continue to do the unexpected in our lives and in our times of darkness, particularly. And we ought to be the kind of people that are that's so shaped by that message, so shaped by that story that our neighbors soon find us to be an unexpected people. Because of the way that we love them and serve them and bless them. Because of the way we include them and invite them in. Because of the way that we listen in dialogue. Because of the grace that they taste. Because of the ways in which they see us devoted to the common good of this place. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this with a personal story because I'm not preaching this to you from a place of light, as it were. My family is currently going through some darkness because one of our children is not well. And her health afflictions have been severe and it has Has laid me low. And two weeks ago, we had a, uh, a doctor's appointment with a specialist in New Jersey. And all of these doctor's visits have um, gone out of network now. And so now, they're having to come out of pocket. And we went up on a Tuesday, and we sat down with this specialist. And he said, well it looks like we can try some things and I'm not sure, but it's a very likely possibility that the first treatment will be $10,000. And then, you know, there could be a course of treatments that are about $8,000 a month, but those ones, you know, we'll wait and see. And as soon as he said $10,000, I started rolling through the Rolodex of tricks up my sleeve and what I could do and how I might be able to muscle this thing. And I can, I can work harder. I can, I'll pull it together. I'll do what I got to do. Wednesday is the day that I usually pay my tithes. And my little alarm came up and I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. But this is like $10,000 Lord. And I was just like, hmm, he's either going to do what he said he's going to do and he's going to be for me what he said he's going to be for me or he's not. He's either going to shine the light in my darkness or he's going to keep me in it long enough to accomplish in me what he wants to accomplish in me, to beautify me, to perfect me, to do what he needs to do to take me from the old rust to the new. Thursday, we got a special delivery package, and it was a check for $10,000, the exact amount of the treatment from some friends who did not know the details, who did not know the specifics, who didn't know what was going on entirely, but they just added a note. We love you. We're praying for you. We're for you. And through that writing on that card, it might as well have been God himself writing to me saying, I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I am light for your darkness. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Wait patiently. Learn Advent in your soul. And you will join with the shepherds, glorifying and praising God because of what you have heard and you have seen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. You are so good to us. We can't even find words to describe it. You are good on an entirely different plane. You are faithful and true. Psalmist said, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. You are the Lord. Full stop. You are the Lord of history. You are the Lord of light and you are the Lord over the darkness. And Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see through this current darkness, to not look away from it, but to stare through it, to see that the light will break upon this darkness and scatter it. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to live as your people in the world with full assurance and confidence that you are for us, And if you are for us, no amount of darkness can overcome your people. You have overcome the world. And that is good news for us tonight. So we pray that you would help us to take it into our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would help us to bring a friend in. To help us to wrestle through the things that we're wrestling through right now. Help us to have the courage to ask the questions. Maybe even to say out loud the things that are hurting us. The things that are plaguing us, Lord, for those of us who have nameless darkness and grief over our lives, where we can't even put our finger on it, Lord, we do ask that you would help us in time to find language for it, to share it, and to and to find you in the midst of it, because that's where you're always to be found. So, Lord, bless Grace Downtown to continue to bear witness to the son of god jesus christ who is the light of the world i ask in jesus name amen